वेलकम टू सिंटॉक द सिंटॉक इज अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द कोर्स एंड फाइन ग्रेंड विल थिंक अबाउट द फिजिकल वर्ल्ड फ्रॉम द स्टैंड पॉइंट ऑफ टेक्सचर लंपीनेस एंड साइज Why do coarse and fine matter exhibit very different physical properties? How does powder flow? Do coarse microscopic aspects of the world hide very fine near microscopic structure? What does crushing do to tea leaves? How is soil different from cement or sand? How does rock become clay? can only fine particles have long range interactions to physical and biological processes have opposing tendencies what are the open questions and what is the likely future therefore of new materials and processes we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today Professor Sri Ram Ramaswamy is a theoretical physicist interested in the collective behavior of self-propelled objects and the like. He is from ISC in Bangalore. Professor D N Singh is a civil engineer turned geotechnical engineer turned environmental geotechnologist. His research involves creating new concepts and materials inspired by natural phenomena. He is from IIT Bombay. and professor gurmeet singh he is an accidental tea scientist he has worked for the last 20 years in tea and is currently working on mass personalization of food he is from transdisciplinary university in bangalore so shriram why don't we set the ball rolling with you um in a somewhat unlikely place um this of what you as a theoretician um make of this notion of texture um not size of course it's kind of related to size and some shape and form but what does texture mean what does it do to the kind of processes you study and you're familiar with uh, to in this world of active matter does it have any meaningful role to play at all why don't we start there and then we'll unpack other notions as we go okay uh let's let's talk about texture um among the areas i've been interested in is uh how collections of objects particular objects move mm. especially when they're making contact with each other and clearly when they make contact with each other the surface texture of the particles is uh, a naturally important thing because uh, this tells you what influence the particles can have on each other if the surfaces are rough they can transmit movement laterally to each other you mean that's just right? friction or something Static else friction right but texture in that sense but texture of a macroscopic material or a chunk of material mm-hmm. gives you some information about composition about internal structures does it to some degree it does at different scales uh, very often texture actually refers to some kind of perceived patterning in the material and that usually is a sign of substructure in the stuff that the material is made of what do you have in mind um uh, an example which may not be very familiar to people is uh, when you have liquids that are made of anisotropic molecules like liquid crystals there very often if you look at them in the right optical conditions you see you mean with the right polarized light and all yeah that. with yeah. polarized light 
you know, you look at them between cross polarizers, which is a technical notion, but it's okay. Sure. You then see hidden structures in there, which you wouldn't see without those cross polarizers. And those are informing you of molecular orientation and complex spatial variation in the molecular orientation, which in the trade is actually known as textures. Hmm. Uh, so that's one kind of notion of texture. Does texture so, play a role in the way things move, in the way yeah, collective indeed. objects yes, move? Yes, yes. So texture, you know, structural complexity, whether it's in the form of what are called defects, mm -hmm. which are complex and hard to remove uh, structures in the material, structures that can't be changed unless you change the material at the boundary. That's one kind of thing. Those are called topological defects. There are other kinds of... So what is a kind of a defect? Like, is, is there a the, commonplace notion? So the problem really is that defect structures are a difficult thing to describe in a purely acoustic program. You actually <laughs> need the picture. It's a classic. Right. It's like, how do you describe a spiral staircase without using your hands? Right. Um, so it's probably the hardest thing to describe in a program like this. Sure. That's why I tried to say, imagine you have a structural arrangement, which is such that no matter how you manipulate the material locally, that structural peculiarity remains, only gets moved around. Mm. That mm. is called a topological defect because it means you can't remove it without globally changing the material. Right. Okay. Right. Like, for example, you know what a Möbius strip is like? Of course. You take a strip of paper, you twist and join it. Right. You Becomes can move it around, but, yeah. you know, but you can't remove it. Yeah. That's an example. Yeah. Uh, and that, I guess you could call that a kind of texture in some language unless you have a different notion of texture that you're propagating. But at least in the kind of things you're familiar with, things like swarms and this, that, or yeah, flocks, yeah. Uh, is there, one is that I'm asking you this question, but when you think of those questions, do you think of texture? Texture is not the first word that comes to mind for me in that context. Mm -hmm. uh, order and defect structures is what I would talk about. I mean, for example, if you have a school of fish and this form a vortex, I wouldn't normally call that texture. I would call that um, a defect structure. So the sister notion of coarseness, uh, mm -hmm. would you, would you, what, what, what is coarseness for you? I just wanted to yes, come in with texture and food. Mm. And uh, one of the very exciting areas today is uh, texturization of foods and proteins. Because uh, we're looking at uh, meat alternates, right. vegetarian meats, you know, from a sustainability angle or a health angle, various reasons. And so how do you get uh, vegetable proteins to taste like meat and have a texture like meat. So uh, more chewy, more fibrous. And so there's a lot of play of temperature uh, which comes in and the duration. So is, there, is there a generic answer to how is a certain kind of texture created? I mean, is there is there again that form function angle or structure yeah, so, function So the structure there? function equations, the constitutive equations, it's too early in the day. So uh, it is still an art uh, that you take materials and then you extrude them. So you shear them and you shear under temperature and see what happens. So it's still an art. Uh, no equations right now. Yeah. Right. So for me, texture is a very important thing for civil engineers, geotechnologists and the guys who are in agronomy, even the farmers. So if you look at the classification system of soil, this is based on the texture, which is coarse and fine. Mm. And then this is a connotation which is normally used to define soils on which you are working or with which you are working. 
uh, and that's what the theme of today's uh, uh, sin talk is uh, fine and the coarseness so if you go to the soil classification uh, the connotation is fine grain materials are supposed to exhibit a certain type of property and the problems which technologists and engineers are trying to overcome so what are the what are the properties what are the problems typically of fine fine soil say fine grain materials by virtue of being fine grain have very large surface area mm-hmm. and the moment surface area is very high uh, they interact a lot with the environment and they are the receivers you mean in of the sense of uh, being able to so they absorb they'll they'll absorb more exactly and so on right? so their absorption capacity becomes very high their their tendency to react with the environment in the form of attachment of the contaminants become very high and uh, they have more moisture associated with them which is going to be quite problematic to the guys who are going to train them tomorrow for construction in the marine environment let's say the entire consolidation theory starts on this concept so more the fine grain system the more adherence of water contaminants pollutants and then they become difficult to deal with and that's a different philosophy we'll be discussing later on however as far as the coarse grain material is concerned easy to train easy to work with and um, this is a delight for an engineer to use this for a day to day construction because it won't have any inherent problems associated with it but you do use smooth materials and fine materials in in civil engineering don't you so texture the way like for you example define... what what function does cement serve what function does sand serve what function does gravel serve now they they kind of serve different functions so they are all they? technically they are different materials sure chemically they are different of course so you add water to cement it hardens sands you add water to them nothing is going to happen all right this is where we talk about the physical phenomena chemical phenomena mineralogical phenomena biological phenomena so all these things are becoming very pertinent in understanding the behavior of a material which is either very fine or which is very coarse and then uh, we associate flowability also to these uh, textures of the soils what do you mean by flowability uh, granular material flows f- easily the good example is the rocks in the himalayan region uh, they are getting weathered and because of the water being a carrier it brings them down to the gangetic plains and they become very fine but still they are quite coarse they are distinct particles which you can see through your naked eyes and by the time it reaches the bay of bengal these particles have got crushed they have become so fine that they form the mud or clays and we can't see them by naked eyes we need a microscope we have to do microscopic examination to understand you know how this coarseness has got converted into the fineness starting from a big chunk of rock what does flowability mean to you shuram so flowability is of course it's the same notion no but but uh, i mean the point is you know if you have let's say you have a suspension of stuff in a fluid then uh, how it flows you know how much stress you need to impose on it to make it flow at a given rate that's one measure of flowability uh you can also have things where if you if you purely granular materials and you try to make them flow then typically what happens is an upper layer flows and so layers bed, are created yeah i mean if it's pure solids if it's pure dry solids flowing typically some there'll be a bed of it which is just sitting there 
and such stuff flowing downhill. Uh, so I don't know which notion of flowability uh, DNS uh, has in mind. So like landslides. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, good landslides. example is landslides. So you have boulders, debris, they are flowing. Uh, we could have mudslides. Normally they show it in the movies. Uh, so even the clays might be sliding because of excessive uh, wetting or because of excessive rains. So material flows, be it cohesive, be it frictional, right? Uh, the flowability is associated with this. But even when uh, bulk bulk matter like this flows, are there subzones that get created inside oh, yes, them? Yes, yes. There are. So that's that's the point you're referring yeah, yeah. to when the. I mean, really, all all purely solid powders when you make them flow, are always inhomogeneous in how they flow. Different parts of them different, do flow differently. In fact, in the process of flowing, they even start sorting different kinds of particles, Correct. segregate out. So there's a whole whole zoo of actually very interesting and in a fundamental sense, still very poorly understood uh, phenomena. Like we call it separation, let's yeah. say. You know, uh, by air or by gravity or by magnetic separation, different types and sizes of the particles having different type of mineralogical constituents and which you can separate out from the stream of the material or the bulk of the material and you can separate this out. You know? I mean, one of the big challenges in uh, you know, uh, in foods, you know, where you have blends of different things together, so like uh, morning breakfast cereals or teas with botanicals in there. You, know, you have uh, things with are different shapes, different sizes, different uh, bulk densities together. And so when you spoon out a morning mix, how do you ensure that every spoon has the same number of resins in it? Correct. Right. Right. So, uh, so those are uh, uh, simple to articulate, but very complex. Only experience. Uh, there are some uh, some governing are, rules to it. Are there? What are those governing rules? What are the tricks? I mean, you try and balance them for their densities. Right. Uh, you try and get so that, them so that they don't something does not sink to the bottom and so right. on. Right. So I mean, if you had like everything, that. yeah. Go ahead. But in fact, even if you try to balance them through the densities, you know that under shaking, yes, they sort different big things. In the yeah. typical experimental conditions, they sort with the big things going to the top and the small things going to the bottom. Correct. But even there, there isn't a simple rule. Yeah. And I think maybe I wanted to put one point in that we talk about these as pakka practical industrial problems. Yeah. They are actually equally. Very, very interesting and really fundamentally unsolved problems yeah. in the statistical physics of particulate systems. Right. We don't understand how phase segregation in systems that are so far from equilibrium as big grains, yeah. you know, how that stuff works. We so really, what, what do you don't understand? I mean, surely, I mean, there are what, all these industrial the applications. Is there a quantity? Zeolites and so on. So there is stuff that we do understand. But no, but what I mean is the following. We understand the laws, the thermodynamics of phase segregation, thermodynamics and at a micro scale, the statistical mechanics of the segregation of particles which have a temperature and which move by, you know, with conserved energy. But macro particles with large numbers of internal degrees of freedom which lose their energy upon collision and it goes out, the fundamental laws of statistical physics of those kinds of systems are basically still a mystery. People understand many individual things about them, but there isn't a quantity you can write down like an entropy which the system is maximizing. I mean, you Nothing can't so even find out the surface area, right? For a sphere, a spherical particle, yeah. uh, any 10th grader would write a, a volume or a surface area yeah, very easily. There are different methods of for, uh, yeah, finding for out. For a particle which is ill-defined, how do I do that? Yeah. But are so, these even systems where statistical physics would apply? Like this, a serial bowl is... Uh, the kind of statistical physics that we grew up learning, no. 
but is is there should there kind be of fundamental law a very very serious uh, honest god card carrying theoretical physicists really work on this problem and not with great success frankly but do you think it's amenable to physicsification i think so you yeah, think it is so? i mean like uh, to add to this uh, look at the sedimentation process which is yes. constituting the sediments at the global and the geological scales mm -hmm. so what i was talking about the soils coming all the way from himalayas or the hill regions getting deposited in the ocean beds so there is a segregation which is going on the finer particles would settle later the coarser particles would settle faster and so on so these are well defined law of mechanics which can be utilized but when the system becomes very complicated both in terms of shape morphology you know and texture this becomes a complicated process which happens in nature and then as an engineer i am supposed to master these deposits to build let's say a, a <laughs> sea link or a jacob rig so then this becomes very intricate phenomena interesting why don't we travel to the world of tea gurmeet which you are very familiar with now obviously at a very high level one knows whatever dusty or fine tea and whatever the other end of the spectrum is how do they behave and operate differently both the level of physics and chemistry uh, take us into that world and tell us what happens well uh, so dns was talking about flow and uh, coarse and fine and uh, so from a tea perspective it is actually about infusion how things come out when right. we put a tea particle a tea grain or a tea leaf into water and when you say and how things come out you obviously mean caffeine a lot of other goodies there right. so caffeine is only it. one part of it there are a huge number of the biggest part of tea is the soluble solid so a gram of tea has about 4 400 mg so about 40% of tea is soluble matter 40 45% of tea is soluble matter so every time we take about 2 grams of tea in a spoon and put it into water uh, we get about 800 mg of stuff exhalation coming out into water right and uh, or could come out into water right if we allow it enough time enough temperature to do that uh, and the amount which comes out in a reasonable amount of time which is usually a minute to 3 minutes and what is the remaining stuff it's all just which the remaining is uh, the structural components the cellulosic uh, matter so the veins and the yeah the fibrous matter the structure of the leaf which holds it the rest is a soluble will come out in water and i presume that you include things like caffeine in the soluble side the caffeine in the soluble side what else is there polyphenols is a big part right and uh, does that contribute to the aroma that or? contributes to the color of tea that contributes to the taste of tea that contributes to the mouth feel of tea and uh, also today we know that polyphenols is a uh, huge amount of biological activity the molecules which are good for us mm. like there was a time when uh, the guy who discovered vitamin c and its importance 1930s uh, he thought polyphenols would be a vitamin and called it vitamin p right and uh, <laughs> uh, but right. yeah so, so so what is that link between the grain size and, and what so, exactly happens uh, so a big a big link is surface area right so uh, that the smaller the particle size the more the that, faster the infusion the faster the infusion and the more yeah the infusion and would the happen the more the infusion the, the faster the infusion because everything is in the same amount of time more is time because the time that humans will give to make a cup of tea which is somewhere between 1 and 3 minutes no matter where you go in the world right but if so, if, if if one has to whatever cups of warm water and you put fine tea and not so fine tea the coarse tea or the leaf tea 
then over a long period of time does it become the same thing yeah it becomes the same right. it would if you give enough time and we've done loads of such experiments it becomes yeah. exactly the same thing uh exactly is never exact because uh, you have to hold things at a standard temperature for that amount of time and then there is chemistry which kicks in it's not just physics of you no know, diffusion right. so things start changing yeah and uh, and so the taste would change the volatiles would get lost so while you may get in amount terms okay i have got 40% out but it's not the same 40% that i would have got out from a fine particle from a coarse one the nature changes right as a result if you look at large leaf versus you no know, coarse versus fine so the some of the most uh, expensive teas are what are called as large leaf teas you no know, they have almost the whole tea leaf it's not been chopped at all the darjeeling teas and the oolong teas right uh, i think the whole one way of looking at the tea industry has been that uh, how do you play along this axis of more solids coming out or more flavor so it's like the bitter compounds coming out the mouthfeel compounds coming out versus flavor compounds coming out if you want to perceive more flavor and you mean there's a trade off between the two there's a trade off because if you get too much of the mouthfeel compounds they overpower the the flavor compounds so most flavorful teas would be large leaf teas yeah and there there the art is you are holding the other molecules back so that you can perceive the flavor the aroma right and uh, and in the uh, wherever you're trying so that's the flavor forward tea so the people are drinking darjeeling's for example uh, where you're looking for more mouth feel more kick more strength you go to finer teas dusty so that more solids come out so more caffeine will come out along with that caffeine is only one part of it and so you get more calorie teas stronger teas more astringent in your mouth right and uh, and maybe that's why you add a little bit of milk to it to cut down on the bitterness which comes along with all of this uh and so you add a little bit of milk which will cut down the bitterness you add a little bit of sugar you may add a little bit of elaichi so different people around the world do different things right to that uh you go to europe they add uh, fruit pieces and uh, and flavorings <laughs> into it no so you have yeah. strawberry teas and other teas so yeah so something very interesting of what gurmit is talking about uh you know there are soils which uh, do not classify themselves as even the coarse or fine grain uh, they fall in the category of colloids mm-hmm. yeah and from here so this, they are suspensions they are suspensions and these type of soils in nature create major havoc to the engineers so you must have realized that uh, <laughs> there are many times when the embankments fail the embankments are the ones which are carrying the railway lines so this is a mass diffusion which is taking place of the soil so matter gets diffused in the form of the mass not only the concentration and that becomes problematic as far as the strength of the material is concerned so one side you talk about the taste which is coming in the mouth because of the uh, diffusion of uh, chemical ingredients which are present in the tea mm-hmm. well there is a problem which happens in the similar manner in case of the soils which are very fine particles colloids when they come in contact with flowing water they just come out of the parent body the mass loss occurs and the system fails so from this point onwards we start talking about sukshma hmm micro you know, micro what really happened and this is where the life is so soil which appears to be a very very you know dull inert inert yeah. material there's microbial life there it not only microbial we we still talking about non microbial yeah. 
I have strong uh, views on tea. <laughs> I don't mean as a tree thinker, but as 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 a as a as a physicist on what what kind of matter you think it is, or this this process of dissolving tea, the process no, so of I'm tea, saying, I think, aroma and flavor being released and so on. Yeah, so all of that. I mean, I think all of that is physical, but non-living uh, science, absolutely. But I think it's it's very interesting. As a challenge, you know, how do you get something to release the flavor components first and the astringency components later, for example, or something? Mm-hmm. Uh, or how do you how do you play with those things? So there are physical engineering challenges there, not particularly ones that would engage the skills that I have. I think. Right. I mean, it's not a problem I've ever tried to wrap my head around, except when making tea. Right. Um, yeah. Or uh, making coffee. <laughs> or making coffee for that. Matter. What does uh... Is is there? Do you make a distinction between living and non-living matter? I think in, it's in, really in important. The, in the way the dynamics work. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you like the obviously living stuff, living organisms, or even living tissue is different from dead in many different ways. Okay, but uh, maybe the simplest of these is just that living stuff is made the natural constituent particles of living stuff are themselves entities which. take up energy and transduce it that is use it to transform at least some of it into work into systematic motion so if you've got particles which are particularly efficiently capable of taking some energy that you give them and executing very very systematic organized looking motion those are different in a really important way from collections of particles doing brownian motion i mean if you look at a jar of a uh, suspension of bacteria swimming around and somebody shows you a movie of particles dead particles just doing brownian motion you will have no doubt as to which is which actually because of the at least on short times very directed kind of motion in the living stuff right uh, as distinct from the and other. brownian motion is truly brownian it's yeah, just yeah. Uh, and um, but the point is but did that happen easily or there was confusion on brownian motion there was being... of course there is a nice history about the whole brownian motion problem which is that you know historically people first looked through microscopes in 18th century 17th or 18th century and saw living things moving around wriggling around and there's this beautiful description by van leeuwenhoek about what that looked like and then this some of the pollens or with no 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 real living stuff leeuwenhoek made the first microscopes mm-hmm. and uh, they were basically single glass beads and something very simple and he looked and there was this whole world that is revealed to him of living stuff and he describes it very poetically there are nice english translations available <laughs> brown looked through microscopes in the 19th century by which time the technology was much more advanced and he was looking at particles that you get by bursting open a pollen grain pollen right. grain itself is too big and he saw this thing dancing around and he and maybe other people first thought that this was also a sign of life they thought they were seeing you know living movement and then they did many systematic experiments to check that it wasn't they tried killing it with alcohol they tried further finally dividing it all kinds of things and finally in fact the what puzzled them was okay look leeuwenhoek has seen living animal cules what the hell is this this stuff is not alive and it's dancing around right so the reason it was important is that people were first confused into thinking it was alive and then it wasn't 
See, even ca- in yeah. case of soils, if you see, uh, like the tea leaves, um, the moment you add water to them, they swell. Many of the t- soils, yeah. they are notorious. At the same time, when there's no water supply or dry, or it's a dry spell, they shrink. So this dynamism in the particle makes you realize so that this is a So how does swelling happen, DNS? What well, exactly? This is the, I know this it's is, absorption of water, but what's happening inside? What's so the... in simple words, this is because of the structure of the clays, mm-hmm. which makes it so active, very intelligent material, to understand whether it is in contact with water or not. And the moment it comes in contact in water, there is a, you know, perpetual desire to accept to all these water as much molecules. Of it as possible. Exactly. So it's a I very intelligent system. Yeah. yeah. If I might interpolate, I mean, the point is that it's it's true, it's intelligent and all that, but it's really because the release of ions into the surrounding yes. water. Mm. That is, it's for purely non-living physics reasons. It's yeah, an sure, entropy. Sure. No, but more to the point, I'm saying it's a sort of, it's a spontaneous process. That is, you gain entropy by the by the clay swelling and by ions being released. So this swelling they, of they clay is nothing. They call it as hydration, let us yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So the hydration swelling of is clay the has nothing to do with absence or presence of microbial life. No, 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 that's a different so issue altogether. Although it could be very yeah. interesting to ask what, yeah. how those two interplay so with each other. You yeah. may add to this yeah, yeah. the microbial phenomena. Right. So if microbes are present in the system, what really happens and what right. is going to be different than the soils which won't have any microbial activity. Is it, is it trivial to look at a sample of soil and say whether or not there's microbial or other kind it's of It's quite intricate. There? So then you have to do atomic force microscopy, then you have to do microscopy, cryo-SEM and so on no, but, and all but, these I things. Mean, I would say if somebody gives you a chunk of soil, mm. you can you will not lose any money by betting there are microbes in it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So, particularly the fine grain materials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another interesting idea which comes to my mind is the way the, we unite the families together. You know, the soil particles are getting united by the presence of microbes. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Uh, you know, there are soils or the sands which get uh, cohesed mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the microbial activity. And presently we define this phenomena as uh, MICP, microbially induced calcized precipitation. So what interesting thing happens is the bacteria produces calcite hmm. under conditions which are very conducive for its growth and for its excreta to get formed in the form of calcite and then binding the particle together. Mm-hmm. Now, this process is going on in, uh, in nature, in nature all since all ever. So, these type of things we are trying to utilize, very contemporary concepts, uh, cohesive the particles so that the particles don't get eroded. Soil conservation schemes... So artificially, you are putting in life into the system mm-hmm. to make it more internet. So, question: So, are these soils ones in which the microbes are continually alive and dividing and so forth? So, yeah. are these soils dynamic as far as the presence of life forms there go, Correct. or have the microbes done their stuff and then died off? Well, the answers could be any. Uh-huh. And see, what I can do is I can engineer a system mm-hmm. where I can activate the microbes for doing something which I wanted mm-hmm. them to do, and that's the art of creation. What nature does, I would also like to do. Mm -hmm. So I can augment the microbial activity in such a manner that I get the desired effect. Now look at this. This is the same microbes which are producing methane into the ocean beds. Right. And these are the reservoirs of energy for you. So a lot of interesting things are happening within the fineness and the coarseness of the material. And this is where the question is, life comes from where? So this, 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 the fineness here leads to the ionization kind of process, as Sriram pointed out. So it's a charged kind of matter. Yes. And if it work, and 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 are there clean breaks when you go from fine to coarse? Is there like dimensionality where it 
when you call it fine and it operates in a certain way yes. the other way to put that question is that do fine and coarse matter yes behave very differently are they are they almost two different kinds of matter yes yes yeah, so yes what like, yeah. where are you on that shriram well i'm one comment is that in if you just take much simpler systems in soils we just take suspensions of one type of particle in a fluid like water mm-hmm. then really if the particles are tens of micrometers in size or more you can forget their brownian motion right and if they are a few micrometers or less you most certainly need to worry about them and this motion. is irrespective of the kind of solute and the kind well, of well yeah i mean of course mm-hmm. I, i let's say i'm talking about water about because water. you know the diffusion the diffusivity the rate at which these things diffuse around is inversely proportional to the viscosity of the surrounding medium right. so certainly if you you know multiply the viscosity by a factor of 100 then even the one micron particles aren't going to diffuse much so right. that's purely a quantitative matter so you need so the viscosity of the ambient fluid is an important ingredient Correct. in setting the scale but but so but this is in a very liquid kind of setting yeah, yeah. um but isn't isn't the notion of fineness or coarseness broader than that isn't it more general does it not mean anything if it is in like air or if in, in a solid solid kind of interaction so, you know even, what i mean but even in a solid i mean a solid let's say a colloidal solid constituted of small particles those particles are also executing brownian motion mm. they stay they have a mean position mm. but about that position i mean if you take take any crystal and measure any you know conventional crystal made of molecules you can certainly do experimental measurements whose outcome is related to the fact that the particles are fluctuating because of temperature about their mean position if that's what you mean and are they very slow in, no, in they are not especially no the only thing is that their displacement is very very small this it maxes out right so at short times imagine you take a particle and say it's here now where is it a little while later on short times it will diffuse just like a free particle and eventually it will have moved enough that it is stretching its bonding to its neighbor and then it sort of saturates and maxes out so that's But, like uh, the glass physics kind of thing even in, even in crystals not only in glass i'm saying interesting interesting so your question Where about are you on that uh, uh, dns of of this is there an almost clean break between fine and coarse oh, yes. in in how they behave in what happens in the properties they display the kind of physics that operates and so on yeah so we already discussed about it their morphology is different number one and that's why they are coarse and fine the second thing is their chemistry is different so what he was talking about is the crystallographic and uh, the crystallography or the structure or the type of anions and the cations which they are holding is going to be totally different and their arrangement of the sheets is going to be different so by virtue of these attributes they carry charge or they don't carry charge right this is the fundamental difference now once the charge comes in the picture the whole dynamics changes so the coarse grain materials by virtue of being small surface area is supposed to be a passive material is it neutral or uh, passive i would say passive passive and uh, the system which has very fine particles in it more surface charges is going to be an active system now it depends upon how activity is being defined by the guy who is doing a profession you know very interestingly soil is a material which is defined by the professionals it depends upon the profession in which you are right so for a guy who is doing sculptures the soil is of xyz of course variety for a geotechnical engineer soil's definition changes so this is a material which uh, which is defined by the professionals the way they wanted to use it that's a very important thing if i talk about 
Yeah. Uh, are there clear cut boundaries? I think in in uh, foods there definitely are. Right. So, for example, one boundary, one example. Uh, particle sizes below twenty micrometer, you can't sense on your tongue. Mm. Right? Before that, at, at the sensory not, level. Yeah, at the sensory level, right? So. Uh, you mean you can't sense the mouth feel of it? No. Yeah. Or so even the they, taste? they will appear grain. They will, you will sense it as grainy or sandy in the mouth. If it is larger than that, if it is lower than that. You, it may be more pasty, or you may just if it's in water at a low dilution, it's just like uh, drinking soup. Right? But that's mouth feel. What about that's taste? Mouth. Yeah. So, t- so t- uh, oh, mouth feel certainly, hmm. and and therefore particle size does become important. There's a tea called matcha, which you drink as a soup, and you need to get it down to below twenty microns in size to be able to twenty uh, microns of one grain of each grain, right? And yeah. so, so really fine talc kind of uh, yeah, sizes. So you mm. make that, but it starts with a tea leaf. It starts with a tea leaf. So then you just you just uh, grind and you grind it down. Grind so it you like select. Hell. So you select those parts of the tea leaf which will grind down. Not all parts of the tea leaf will grind down to those sizes. So you select those parts of the tea leaf which will grind down to those sizes. So you mean you take out the fibrous parts like the you veins and all that. Take out the fibrous that. parts, veins, etc. And you want to grind it down. Grinding is a very energy intensive. Mm. Yeah, and yes. so you want. those parts which will grind down fine in a short amount of time because otherwise the sensories will go for it or the aroma the flavor you'll start getting you the cooked notes that. right so you work in very small batches you select for the leaf uh, and but and then you grind but does the grinding down. process change the chemistry in any way uh yes it produces heat so it will change the chemistry which is why if you look at the world of spices uh you lose a lot of flavor uh when you buy industrially ground spices they're done in large batches whereas if you're grinding at home it will be a very small batch that you're going to use right a few grams correct and uh, and they are much more flavorful so, so it's not the... just because there was ground down 3 uh, months ago versus now but it's also because it was such a large batch it produced a huge amount of heat during grinding and you lost a lot of the volatiles essential oils so there's an interplay of time so the more time that passes the more is lost the environment correct and correct. there is an angle of batch size as well in yes. what you're saying yeah so that's the reason maybe all indian you know uh, foods uh, they they try to prepare fresh yeah fresh uh, masalas yeah but i'm saying there's two things one is fresh is the keepability mm-hmm. right but the other is during the processing itself there is a physics which comes into place the heat transfer mass transfer if you have a large batch then it is going to be the heat stays in right there is no place mm. the the volume is high right and the surface area is low right so as you scale up you the, the big uh, factor is that your volume starts becoming high and the surface area is low one goes by r cube the other by r square and therefore where does the heat that is getting generated go out there is no no room to go out only so much surface area that you're adding as you move up in size so the heat stays in which is why when you grind things in large batches the temperature goes up if you're doing it in small batches there is reasonable amount of surface area available for it to diffuse out i'm talking about the vessel surface area in which right. you're grinding right so when you so, make something like matcha tea yeah. you do that in really tiny batches tiny batches 40 yeah. grams <laughs> 40 grams 40 50 if you see a matcha factory in japan It's small stone grinders, like thousand of them in a room, right? Oh, and it's <laughs> so actually done manually. That's the scale uh-huh. up, <laughs> and it's actually done manually. Yeah, the most expensive ones are done that way. They're not manual; they are all motorized now, but they're very small uh, batches, right? 
what grinding does uh, to a material i have a very different and philosophical mm. uh, way of looking at this <laughs> so in case of tea yes uh, you are grinding the tea leaves and you are achieving what you wanted to achieve uh, see in philosophical world also the more and more you grind yourself the more mature you become all right <laughs> so like look at the slags Uh, which are having no practical applications coming out of the steel manufacturing units, and the moment you grind them to ultra fine size, they become excellent supplementary materials for cements. I also, the my philosophical take would always be, you get refined in taste. Exactly. So, you go, <laughs> so there, there's a beautiful, uh, beautiful Hindi uh, <laughs> saying like uh, you know, "Main manta man mari ke nana kari kari piece and." तब सुख पावे सुंदरी जब ब्रह्म जलक्यो शीश दिस आई रेड ड्यूरिंग माय क्लास टेंथ सो दैट मीन यू गेट रेड ऑफ योर ईगो रिफाइन योरसेल्फ सो मच दैट यू बिकम अ परफेक्ट ह्यूमन बीइंग सो सो एनालॉजिकली इन दिस प्रोसेस ऑफ ग्राइंडिंग समथिंग फाइन रिफाइनमेंट व्हाट हैपेंस इज दैट द नंबर ऑफ इंटरनल स्ट्रक्चर्स आर रिड्यूस्ड टू अ बेयर मिनिमम चेंजिंग and it and it becomes somehow which is maybe a good place to ask this question shri ram mm. of this whole business of interactions with neighbors right so there's a molecule or there's a compound or whatever uh different kinds of matter now as far as short and long range interactions go uh, in fine materials um are the interactions more long range versus coarse and so on is that is there well, is there I mean, a relationship between the two if you look at collections of particles in a fluid then or in yeah say in a fluid then there are at least two ways in which they interact one of which is simply that if you move through the fluid you set up flows in the fluid which cause other particles to move those interactions are long ranged uh, especially at low speeds no matter whether the particles are big or small this that's one aspect the other is the interaction between exposed surfaces in a medium uh which you know you've seen that essentially any if you take take two bits of fluid put one fluid on this finger and fluid on this finger water and you bring them together at some point you'll see the drops jump to contact right right that universal attraction between all matter known as the van der waals attraction is simply that happening that is van der waals force yeah, right? yeah yeah and that simply happens because everything that's neutral has fluctuations in the charge density where at a given moment you have some plus that side some minus this side if you bring two such objects near each other the plus and minus here induces a minus and a plus there and then those attract uh those forces are most effectively and most noticeably manifested when the particles are small okay and so it's not so much a question of the range of the forces as the magnitude of the forces at any given distance uh and those are of course much more effective between small particles but they are equally effective between it's more a question of how smooth the surfaces are imagine you take two very large but smooth surfaces and bring them close to each other atomically smooth surfaces if you can do it then it doesn't matter that the surfaces are laterally very big you'll get a huge attractive force uh, so most sticking in the sort of macroscopic world the colloidal world or the the world of the kitchen all those stickings ultimately are because of van der waals force uh, overcomes other forces so this answers your yeah. question that why fine soils have uh, charge and i was talking about the structure and the wonderful forces and sometimes there could be hydrogen bonding and this makes a fundamental difference in their properties whether they will accept water or they will not accept water uh, so ultimately what grinding does uh, as you rightly said this basically exposes the surface area 
it changes the crystallography it changes the mineralogical uh, properties we call them as mineralogical alteration and you are overall altering the state of the material at atomic subatomic state also in fact another issue is when we talk about the colloids, colloids but but this is grinding so it's kind of done physically and just any physical grinding doesn't break compounds down or anything no. right it, it stays at the same level of the compound so there there are no changes in the up to a certain limit i mean of course if there's heat generated and so on like like you mentioned a while ago then maybe there's some reactions that happen at a yeah actually level. it's interesting i just once you know small, what i mean yeah but I a mean, small side comment actually even just mechanical milling can make structural changes they of course. alloying for instance uh, they can create alloys yeah so yeah yeah so just from ball milling just bringing two elements together yeah, just to, just and it's really fairly macroscopic and still it you can you create but that's alloy, not the is that surfaces. the process of grinding or it's largely temperature that does it you know it's, it's temperature Hit, playing that mechanical role. contact is really important there. i don't know the mechanical energy the, mechanical yeah. energy which is being given by the any type of a process see the structure changes i mean if you look at yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's right it's it's the heating it's the heat yeah yeah but i mean how you are getting whether you are getting through heat through shear i mean yeah. heat is the simplest way but you could get it through other forces Shearing as well also. yeah because uh, you just need to realign things so that they fit into a different crystal shape so chocolate for example i mean why did chocolate why are the swiss so great or became so great with because uh, mr lint or dr lint figured out a way to make it smooth and what is smooth chocolate versus not so smooth chocolate is just the crystals how the chocolate crystals align themselves so what did he figure out uh, he found out a temperature and a conching regime you no know, uh, Uh, the shear and temperature regime at which chocolate suddenly became very smooth right and uh, because and of the alignment of crystals of the crystals right of, yeah. crystal, of, of cocoa domains. butter and yeah i see right but in and, your case and since you're so familiar with food gurmeet if if we dip tea into hot water mm-hmm. and a bunch of things happen caffeine is released so on but if it, if i just rolled it and smoked it Mm. does something very different i know i'm burning it down and whatever or if i put tobacco in warm water i mean there is one kind of process that is releasing the constituent compounds are there other modes of releasing so people that? used to smoke tea uh, so uh, tea can be smoked i mean you could smoke anything you wanted to but yeah. people would <laughs> oh, smoke because that's yeah. fine but yeah. would would Nowadays caffeine be fashion. released in that process yeah uh, i have seen a smoking yeah so uh, so i don't know what happens uh, but uh, in the northeast yeah tea was something to be smoked at a point of time it was also a thing to be eaten so you would uh, use it in salads even if you go to uh, myanmar today it's pretty much a daily dish uh, and uh, but what would happen what are the compounds that you are getting as a result in the smoke uh, i don't know maybe caffeine as well yeah because caffeine does sublime but i don't know the sublimation temperatures of hand yeah by sublime you mean it just becomes a solid to a vapor. Uh, vapor directly yeah. without without passing through the intermediate state yeah. interesting mm-hmm. so what are the open questions what are the what do you don't understand here well, whatever we are discussing is an open question <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> uh, how this happens why this happens how to stop it happening how to master a material you know the way i wanted these are the things which we have to learn So a simple example is he was talking about the odor from the tea leaves. You know, in villages the common practice is that uh, you can you can estimate when it's going to rain because the first or second drop of the rainwater which falls on the earth and that aroma comes out. 
And these villagers, uh, the farmers are so intelligent guys, they can immediately tell you it's going to rain after two, three days. Even so, before the water even before the, even before the rain? Before the rains come. So these are the things which actually at subatomic level we have to start uh, look, mustering to master the material. Just comment, it's not really subatomic. It's, it's at the level of chemistry still. Chemistry level. But so it's molecular. Yeah. When you mentioned, are there, is fine and coarse a continuum or are there you no know, discrete boundaries? Uh, I think it's a bit of both. I mentioned one boundary was what the tongue can sense. So whenever a, a size comes in interaction with our senses, yeah, there are very strict boundaries. You no know, mention about the tongue. Similarly, sight, right? Anything below a certain wavelength will suddenly disappear. Some, does it work similarly with aroma? Uh, not necessarily with aroma because aroma is molecular in nature. Right. Right, and goes to... But if you're looking at a clear tea versus a hazy tea, which is billions in dollar worth of an industry, right? I mean, it's a hundred billion industry and some people like hazy, more natural. Many people like... It should look very clear, right? And so when we see... What is tea? You talked about colloids yet. Depending on the temperature, tea will move from a solution to a colloid. Molecules come together, aggregate, coalesces, and it becomes from molecules become particles, right? So it becomes hazy. So uh, so that's another boundary that you see a particle size boundary. Uh, and yep. I mean, just to comment, and the reason there's a reasonably sharp uh, length scale definition is because we sense uh, visible light wavelengths, which are in a narrow range, oh, and it matters whether the particles are within that range or well outside that range. And that's why yeah. it's pretty sharp. So below four nanometers, things yeah. will start disappearing, right? And if they're larger than that, you'll start seeing them. Was it complex to figure out the tea bags? Was it complex to figure out the tea bags? Like what does it do? What what exactly? I mean, of so, course, yeah. so, I mean, it just really, you, you brew it, something. So, so what is a tea bag? I mean, so broadly there are, you could say three broad ranges of teas which are sold in the market, right? Uh, down South India, you would, so when when tea is made, yeah, in a factory, there is a process called CTC. The the big part of uh, tea industry makes a tea called CTC, which is crushed air curl. Uh, which you, is which is literally that you first. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So those are uh, that's how you take a tea leaf and you uh, put it into some grinders. So you which. Crush the tea leaf. But isn't tear crushing the and tearing leaf. the same thing? Uh, no, crushing is you are breaking it, uh, internal damage, right? Pressing. Tearing is you're causing a lot of shear. So one is more pressure, normal stress, the other more uh, shear stress. Then what does curl do? Uh, curl, then you're twisting it around to form granules, right? But all happens in one single unit operation called a CTC machine. Yeah, uh, And that produces of different sizes so from about say 400 uh, micron size to about one and a half microns uh, one and a half millimeter 1500 micron size so uh, the larger sizes uh, infuse less yeah will need to be boiled a lot more uh, but those are the kind of sizes that most of north india will pay premium for no chan chan it should make a sound so the granules but as far as uh -huh. the tea bags go and I know that's where you're going yeah. you just uh, the process of keeping the tea leaves inside the tea bag yeah. is merely to not have that step of using the sieve right it's just that correct it's just that it is. and so what you need to select for therefore is a size of the granule which will stay inside so it should be bigger than the pore size of the paper that you use 
पेपर नीड्स बी फेयरली पोरस सो दैट स्टफ कम्स आउट easily and doesn't offer a barrier to infusion or otherwise as far as these soluble uh, molecules like caffeine and uh, phenols polyphenols and, and yeah they flow flow out easily they are molecules so they'll flow out easily right uh, and uh, but you also need to make sure that the particles are no not that fine that they clog the paper either come out or clog the paper so there is a certain size in between around it so is this like a complex thing or it's a reasonably common place like it's it's this is a I mean, once you have this figured out then it's, it's uh, yeah you then know which paper size to use and what particle size of tea to use and then it's a straightforward problem so it's all been figured out 50 years ago yeah. interesting yeah but now of course when we uh, find out new tea bag materials such as uh, biodegradable tea bags Right. I mean, first we had paper tea bags, right, or cloth tea bags. Then we went to paper tea bags, cheaper. Uh, but paper tea bags needed to be stapled. But there's nothing conceptual about any of this. This is just like tinkering with things and figuring things out. Yeah, I mean, the conceptual part is yeah. I mean, uh, it's a uh, I wouldn't say it's a mathematical equation, but particle size and uh, pore size. Design yeah? of filters let's and say. diffusion. Yeah, design of filters. Which is the separation problem that we are thinking separation. of? Why you are thing. trying to trap something either at the molecular level through. or at the bigger level, so that they don't. So it out. has to be selective. Of course. Yeah. Selective. Selecting something to stay back and other things to come out. Of course. Yeah. What are the open questions, Sri Ram? In which area? In 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 this area of fineness and graininess. Is in in fineness and graininess, as far as uh, sort of dead matter goes, I mean, I think they are all. there there is an issue i'll tell you what it is uh i don't think we understand how collections of particles moving by mechanical agitation rather than brownian motion how they organize themselves supposing you have a multi component mixture of big and little beads and you want to understand at the same level as we understand phase separation at thermal equilibrium if you want right. to understand spatial organization of that kind of matter i would say we understand many things about it but we don't understand it the way we understand phase separation at thermal equilibrium can it be understood you you, you mentioned a while no, ago no it's so I, it's an area in which i think we're making progress and you know many things are understood about it at this point as problems in physics um if you like I, let me make a slightly more general statement when you've got collections of molecules and you change the temperature and they undergo spatial organizations of various sorts those are broadly phase transitions in systems at thermal equilibrium where you tune some control parameter be it temperature or pressure or something and something happens as far as spatial organization phenomena in big particles whose thermal energy can be ignored as far as that goes you always lump them into the area of pattern formation hmm. okay so you call one of them thermal equilibrium phase separation the other one some kind of pattern formation the field is much more wide open in the area of pattern formation because at the simplest level all those pattern forming systems which you are driving with a flux of energy through the system not holding at a constant energy budget in the system so one are close effectively closed systems one is effectively open systems and all open system questions are much more poorly understood than closed system questions uh, some of those open system questions enter the realm that i'm currently obsessed with which is powered particles self propelled particles and active so forth matter. active matter but it's if you you can think of active matter as one end of the physics of open systems that's what i would say and is there an answer to this question of what what exhibits the flocking kind of behavior and what does not uh, um, at some level i would say that if you have things 
which at the individual particle level have reasonably persistent motion mm-hmm. and which which, we, which means that they there's an axis along which it moves yeah it so which means their internal like works makes them move in some direction defined by their structure then usually those particles are anisotropic and as a result usually anisotropic meaning have have an asymmetry have a directionality to their shape and usually when such particles bump into each other or affect their environment in some way there tends to be a directionality to that and therefore they line up so if you combine the physics of axes lining up with the physics of uh, individual particles with a directed motion you tend to get flocks and because it is in some conceptual way that simple that's why we were able to make artificial flocks by just taking a layer of particles with a funny shape and vibrating them up and down so some but do you have the converse problem of situations where you expect to see flocks because of mm-hmm. some of the characteristics that you mentioned but you don't typically not i mean there may be larger scales on which this local flocking arrangement turns out to be unstable for reasons having to do with physics that one didn't take into account at the smaller scale you could have that certainly so, so there could, is no yeah. good answer to this question of how large can flocks get no there is i would say that if you have flocks in fluid Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the things that we showed—maybe the first important thing that we showed in this game—is imagine you've got something which moves along in a fairly persistent way, changes its direction very gradually. Imagine you have collections of them, which, by virtue of bumping into each other, tend to line up their axes and their velocities. Imagine you have a collection of these guys in a fluid, in a viscous fluid. Then, if the movements are slow in a technical sense if the reynolds number at the scale of the particle is small then in general such a spatially organized arrangement will always destabilize at large scales right so there's one example of uh, a kind of generic law you basically you know try as hard as you will you basically cannot have aligned truly flocked states in but there viscosity is the enemy viscosity is important if you look at much larger scales fish school scales this law fails so there is uh, and the, impo- the the defining number it has has to do is the reynolds number at the scale of the particle which is a more technical answer than i'd like to give but anything more would require too much time right <laughs> you were saying something there so DNS. coming back to this uh, the flock formation so all the fine grain materials have a tendency to get flocked to each other sorry sorry I, i need to interrupt i need to interrupt yeah. here because we're using the word flock in two different senses okay yeah. flock in the sense i am talking about yeah, is bhedchal yeah. okay right okay literally okay. flock you that you don't mean flocculation flocculation the formation of aggregates yes. two different things so should right. not be so these so flocks that's, that's are not lumps they're yeah. not yeah. Lumps. lumps these okay. are really bhedchal so now i'm coming to this lumpification mm-hmm. of what you are talking about so most the, the when the fineness is attributed to a particle its most thermodynamically stable condition would be the flock formation and the biggest limit sometimes you may want to induce lumpiness for oh, stickiness lumpiness all these adjectives you can use you want the to way create you want aggregates to either yes. because there's an earthquake or whatever something Correct. so yeah. now look at the contradiction uh, the knowledge which is present right now to understand the materials property in terms of the fine grain soils is we deflocculate the system and then we try to understand its property so when you ask me a question that what should be done further study the material in the flocculated state don't deflocculate it because that's the natural state well, what's that's the, the thermodynamic with that? state what's the difficulty with studying it in the uh, flocculated state laws of mechanics cannot be really applied to multiply cohesed particle systems like flocks 
that's the biggest problem. So if you go at the particulate level, you have to deflocculate the system to understand how each particle is behaving in the entire mass. Now, second thing is uh, when we talk about thermodynamics and what nature does is wonderful. Uh, what we try to model in the form of the gas hydrates, let's say, which is a very current fad in the uh, international community. You have the coarse-grained materials, fine-grained materials like sediments and through which the thermogenic or biogenic methane gas gets generated, gets trapped at very high pressure and low temperatures. And then people are trying to understand how the entire structure of the sediment gets changed or formed so that I can extract energy uh, for tomorrow's requirement. So these are very interesting questions which uh, people are trying to understand. The state of the material changes, their entropy changes, the thermal equilibrium changes, the type of molecules which are associated with the sediments which could be either fine or coarse grain and that whole system has to be studied and right. this is a big challenge for the scientists right now. Do you think that your understanding, uh, Shriram, of you know, active matter physics and other things that you've done and obviously will continue to happen, does it have any implication or shadow on material science? Does it, Does it? I mean, I don't like the word help too much, but does it influence the way in which different new kinds of materials may so be I created? So I think the field's ambitions certainly include trying to design, to, you know, trying to do things like guided self-assembly where you can imagine that you try to arrange situations in which you want to create certain kinds of assemblies and you do it by using self-propelling capabilities of particles uh, to build those assemblies. So notions of guided self-assembly, notions of uh, you know clever materials of sorts that frankly I haven't worked on are certainly among those things which are driving the field right now. So the field is advertised at least as going in those kinds of directions. And I think there's probably some, some grounds for taking that seriously. But more generally, you can imagine, you know, not in material sciences of making a material, but if you're doing materials handling and processing, the fact that you can induce spatially organized structures of solids on a surface right. by just, by, you know, playing around with vibrations and things, those kinds of ideas, which it could, it could roughly lie in the active for matter for this, applications. This yeah. transportation yeah, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, certainly. But, but even, but, but more generally, I mean, the point is that People have created materials like take a liquid crystal and send a bunch of bacteria into it. And now this composite material, which is some living and some non-living stuff, you can do interesting kinds of pattern formation in it. And you can use those as templates for structured materials. So um, I would say that my feeling is there is scope. It will be one more dimension to the you know, smart materials, pat uh, templating, patterning, and so forth, those kinds of areas. I think there's probably plenty there to be done. You can also change properties of materials. You can change viscosities by suspending uh, swimming particles in materials. Uh, you can make them more viscous or less viscous, not because of how much you put in, but because of the type of swimmer. And again, the field does say that these things could be used to drive something. You can imagine putting a little rotor into a fluid full of bacteria and the rotor starts spinning only in one way not for very different reasons from why... A that would be like a spin. way of activating the matter almost. Yeah, right. Basically, using, you know, you can ask about the degree to which you can take a collection of living stuff like bacteria and how much energy you can harvest from it. Hmm. So I think there are promising directions. I think it's very early yet to claim that the field has one killer app even. I don't think it does yet. How early is it? Like, 
fifty years. No, years. I maybe ten. Ten years. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Ten fifteen years probably. That, that's would, around yeah. the corner as yeah, far as yeah, you yeah. go. Yeah. What's the nature of open questions in your world? I mean, one we spoke about phytochemicals, like... extracting things, this whole world of grinding, releasing um, biochemicals, biocompounds from inside. Now, obviously, it's you know you go from one kind of plant to another, one kind of herb to another. It's the same thing, but other other relatively trickier technical conceptual problems in some of those situations. I mean, there are. Uh... You're dealing with nature after all, so correct. So, so there are no, as I said, there are no uh, constitutive equations to solve many of these things, right? Uh, in the world of foods, you're always trying to design foods which will uh, sensorily appeal, right, to uh, your consumers. Uh, also, uh, the nutritional part to it, right? So you're looking at the right set of molecules coming out. How do you balance all that in a way that a consumer interacts with the food, the cooking time, the cooking medium, etc. Uh, and it's uh, it's a lot of kitchen art as opposed to a kitchen science, I would say. So uh, that's why if you want to design a new food, you have to set up an R&D facility. Right? Uh, you were saying something there. Can we think of designing intelligent foods which are devoid of allergies? I think that's the personalization point that he was making a while ago. No? I mean, that would be... Because allergy is allergen-dependent, allergen is like person-dependent. Yeah, so, so in on. my subject, we talk about lumpiness, what you have been talking about. So the finer the material, the more lump formation. And the more lump formation is what we technically call them as clots, clotting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And these clots are a big hindrance in understanding the material property precisely. So, I mean, this is something which I wanted to add here that fineness having all sorts of positive attributes many times becomes a big villain when I want to understand the material in the best possible manner. So a beautiful example would be the potter who wants to create pots. If he takes dry clay, he sprinkles water. You're saying that dry clay is not enough for you to understand wet clay? Yeah, so because it gets transformed to a clawed state, which is agglomeration of the clay particles. With, with, with its own kind of physics which because of the charges on it because of the electromagnetic forces which are prevailing on it so what I wanted to study is I wanted to study the properties of the clays but what has happened is because of addition of water it has got altered to a different state of the material clots so these are the fundamental questions we have to devise tools techniques you know um, constitutive relationships how do you see a material in its relevant State exactly. Right. So the uncertainty principle. Uncertainty. The moment you take it out this. of water, it's uh, it's different. Right. And maybe this is what yeah. nature does, and we are miles away to master it. What lies ahead? Uh, we'll end with that uh, DNS. In the world of soil, you've done some work in the context of artificial soil and so on. Well, there are a lot of challenges. Uh, first of all, you know, civilization on different planets, extraterrestrial we call it. Um, civilization on moon, civilization on Mars, which is going to be So is this soil in and Mars the same as the soil and I mean, not same, of course. It cannot the, be. The chemistry is different. It's, it's not only chemistry, planet, the atmosphere literally. is different. And as I say, soil is a very intelligent material. So it knows under what circumstances it has been created. 
So you need air, you need water, you need sun, you need microbes to form the soil. But for example, has Martian soil been studied at all? Oh yeah, people are studying it. Lunar soils, we call them as regolith. Regolith. Yeah, this is only so for the lunar is... soil or any anything extraterrestrial? Extraterrestrial, they use the term regolith. And people are really trying to study this because now the earth is becoming saturated. So where you are going to have your further expansions? So no doubt that we might be growing something on different planets and we'll be using it over here. But And just studying a sample of soil, is does that give you clues about obviously past life, not, not current life? Does it tell you anything about whether... Whether they may have been life. Yes, yes. At people one are trying time. to do carbon dating to realize whether uh, the soils at this planet is similar to the soil at uh, Earth or not. So there is an interesting, uh, you know, mythological story. Uh, Mars is the planet which is son of Lord Shiva and Earth. Son of Lord Shiva <laughs> and Earth. So, and if you take the soils from diff- two planets, Earth and Mars, you will find a lot of similarity. And this has been already proven by the samples which are collected and recently analyzed. So coming back to your question, what constitutes soils? What creates soils? Environmental conditions. Is soil a definitive sign of life? Yes, it is. Now, you could, you could, you could say that anything that is powdered rock is soil, but it's kind of not soil. Uh, Even the sign powdered of time. material. Huh? It's a sign of time, may not necessarily be life. No, even 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 <laughs> the powder will also show you. Put it beneath the microscope, and you'll realize the type of microbial activities which are prevailing. No, over that's there. because we're looking at it on Earth. So now microbes pervade Earth. I think that's the question right. is whether there's some kind of a link between this fineness business and some kind of a sign of life. But no, I don't know. It's fineness it's, it's and coarseness, as we discussed, is the attribute of the mechanical processes through which the material has gone through. The mineralogy and the chemistry still remains intact and the biology still remains intact. So in my opinion, it is I think is the, the question in a sense then is, is whether biological processes and, you know, you, you study a bunch of them, all these herbs and plants and so on are another kind of process which do something else to matter. I don't know what else, okay. uh, but um, which, which would be the kind of question one would need to understand better of if you were to just look at soil and say, hey, you know what, this is coming from a planet where there is life, there was life. Uh, Correct. So the type of microbial activities could alter the complete properties. And yeah. the microbial activities will depend upon the atmosphere. And atmosphere will depend upon so many other factors. Do, do you have a hunch on this? On whether, whether biological processes... Um, have a certain kind of signature which is, which is very different from physical, mechanical sorts of processes. And as far as, and you know, right now we're limiting ourselves to yeah. finely ground matter, also called soil sometimes. Simple in, terms, you know, what microbial process does, either degradation or upgradation. So when he talks about infusion, it's a sort of a degradation process. I mean, anabolic and catabolic process. Anabolic you and catabolic. build up and you build down, right? You degrade. But uh, that's uh, still largely molecular range. We are, uh, when we use the words fine and coarse, we are talking about particle range. I mean, in yeah, our yeah, minds, course, yeah, we, in, yeah. In, in, in a physical sense, right. and I'm trying to build the biological in before we 
people they curtain down what's your hunch on this shira no, maybe you have a, no hunch maybe no no, no actually yeah. I, it's a very interesting question whether by examining a chunk of soil yeah. you could figure out a biological activity taken place there had had, had. Oh, yeah that's yes. what i'm saying i understand now, the only trouble is that typically biological activity has taken place in some chunk of material you're likely to find actual residue of the biological organisms themselves hmm. It's, yeah, it, it seems to me that it's unlikely that they left zero trace and left zero and trace gone to and another only planet. changed the physicochemical properties. But it's still an interesting question, I think, because uh, and I, I would guess yes, but I don't know if we understand enough about how soils processed by life forms versus soils processed only by, let us say, heat and meteorites, you know, meteor impact and. weathering and so forth people are What trying to understand these things it's interesting I mean, question living things do certainly create fine particles i mean you know that when plants grow they're growing on rocky surfaces they they break open rocks right they produce acids to be able to put their roots through them no nutrients so, most yeah. important what you are talking about the nutrients the food yeah. technology also yeah. plays a very important role in soil science so mm. plants are going to survive when you have nutrients in these soils mm. This is a question for later but great thank you so much to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again thank you for coming yeah. thank, thank you thank you a lot thank you thank very you. much